So what is up, everyone? I am still trying to get this live chat going up, but we are on and I'm so happy. Everyone said they had a pretty bad week. It was a bad week. I I concur. Like, what's going on? Like, why are people having bad weeks here? What's going you on know, with it? it comes in waves. Yeah. What's up, Lauren? Brandon, Natasha, Desiree, Shram. Mm. It's awful. What's going on, man? I, you know, I had a bad week, too. I think it's just universal, you know? That's a good question, Lauren. Was the moon in retrograde? <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? Well, I mean, th- that's a valid question because any- the moon doesn't go in retrograde. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. So anytime you- at work, mm-hmm. um, when like the craziest things happen, it's a full moon, like never fail. I'm not saying that the moon causes people to be crazy. It's just coincidental. And so anytime any anything happens at crazy, that's crazy at work, I say, is it a full moon? And like most of the time, it's true. You, you know, I, I used to think that same way when I was a little kid. I thought like the world revolved around me type of thing, type of thinking, you know? Mm, I don't think we've covered that one, Brandon. We covered the one where the girl buried the, her, the baby in the backyard, the high schooler, Skylar something. Oh, what was her question? Brandon said, have we covered the Taylor case? The one where the girl cut the baby out. Taylor case? Are you talking about Brooke Schuyler Richardson? I don't know a Taylor. Taylor. Well, that's that's what I was talking about. But she didn't cut her baby out. She just had the baby and it died. Uh, so and she buried are it. Are you seriously requesting a case where a woman cuts the baby out? Which is a big thing, man. Like, that happens so much. I know who you're talking about. I don't. But yeah, it's disgusting. Like, I think... Uh, sounds like a good one, though. Hey, if it's disgusting, sounds right up our alley. I'm also, I'm also think the baby and the mom died on that one. Oh, God, that's awful. If I'm not mistaken. You guys know what we're doing, right? We're doing the Angel Resendez case. Oh, yeah. So this is going to be part two. I was supposed to do this a long time ago on Monday, but this week has been shit Tay. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, her job sucks balls. So this is the first time we're doing it. So this is a part two. If you haven't listened to part one, it just ain't going to make sense to you. I mean, I guess I can recap. Yeah, if you could recap, because I was yeah. tipsy that last one. So I kind of don't really remember what we talked about. Oh, really? How drunk were you? I don't know. I can help you with that you were getting wasted. I'm just kidding. At least I tend to stay silent when I drink too much because I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. No, I don't think you said anything stupid. Oh, no, good. I know. It's because I'm a f- drunk self was like, okay, best behavior. Don't. Dude, we, why are we drinking two of these? What do you mean why are we drinking? We each, we each have one. This is a lie. Okay, well, last time you got mad at me for splitting one between the two of us. You were like, not enough. We're going to be so dead. This part will be the last part. And this is going to be the survivor story that we're talking about. What's up, Summer? All right. So last week, we did the Angel Resendez case. Angel Resendez Ramirez case. Mm-hmm. Ramirez wasn't his last name. It was just one alias he went by. Right. And in fact, I think this would be a good place to start. Here's his list of aliases. And this is only a short list, but there's two in here that are really interesting about about this guy that will tell a lot about him. Oh, yeah. You want me to read them to you? Mm-hmm. All right. So some of his aliases were Jose Reyes Resendez. He's Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. And he's an illegal immigrant. Okay. Which is crazy. I wonder why, I wonder how he got, well, I guess he committed crimes here. But if that was, if it was the other way around, we wouldn't let Mexico punish him. If it was an American city citizen that went to Mexico, I don't think we would let Mexico punish him. No, they, they can. Oh, can they? Oh. Um, but you, you can, I think, have the prisoner be extradited back to their home country. Jose Reyes, Jose Angel Reyes, yada, yada. Jose Koenig Mingale. Oh, oh, that's what he's playing at? Crazy, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. What is that? Joseph Mengele, the angel of death so of the it, Holocaust. The Nazi. So he obviously yeah. read some of Hitler's work in prison. He, he was actually sentenced. That's problematic <laughs> for a whole lot of reasons. I, I know, right? And then there's a bunch he used. I'm talking about he used these with fake social security cards. He gave INS these. In fact, before he actually went on that last killing spree, INS let him go because of one of these fake names. They didn't even check. They're just like, ah, go ahead. And then he went and killed four people. Pedro Angel Ramirez. So that name was pulled straight from Richard Ramirez because he looked up to him. And that was so, during yeah, the same so time Yeah, so he's period. pulling who he, he's idolizing from in some cases here. Mengele Ramirez. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? I'm yeah. just kind of one of douche. So last week, we followed this guy on a train. He's a train killer. He goes from city to city, from state to state. He'll jump from Florida to Texas to Wisconsin, all within a day. So it's really hard to catch this guy. And he would just stop at whatever port, get off, go into a random house, not even knowing who's in there. It could be a guy with a shotgun. He just got lucky. I mean, this dude is 5'4". The balls, the balls of this guy to just go into a home is insane. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's impossible to catch him. Plus, he he's not an American citizen. And the only time he's really getting arrested is when he presents fake social security cards. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to catch this guy? Well, they had a real big problem of catching him. He yeah, was he, a teacher in Mexico. Yeah, so he yeah. was. Uh, I did go over a little bit. I'm going to kind of go over really quick his background because no one cares about that. They just want to kill him. But we are going to talk a little bit about his background. But when he was caught, he was in Rodeo, Texas, where his home and his wife and small daughter lived. Mm -hmm. They had no idea about this. And he was one of the most respected citizens in Rodeo, Mexico, which is a small village. And he was there teaching not only orphans English, because this guy picked up English real quick when he was a child. He was not only teaching orphans, he was also teaching nuns English while he was doing this murder spree. And he was like two different lives, literally angel slash demon. Yeah. You know, crazy. That is pretty crazy, actually. And then I stopped with a little teaser of what we're talking about tonight. It was two years before he got caught. This is supposedly his first murder where he stopped at University of Kentucky and Lexington, remember that? Mm -hmm. And he brutally assaulted a a boyfriend and girlfriend, killing the boyfriend, leaving the girlfriend alive, although he didn't know that. That was supposedly the first one. She actually wrote a book called Soul Survivor. Wow. She is a public figure. She's a was it, outspoken? spokesperson. Yeah, she is a spokesperson. Oh, that doesn't sound right. For survivors? Uh, a spokesperson doesn't sound like the right word. She talks about... She's like a motivational speaker? Sort, sort of. No. She gives talks about surviving... The the sexual attack and murder of her boyfriend. She's a, a, a speaker. Yeah. An activist? Activist. That's what I was looking for. Activist. Yeah. Angel Resendez, short Mexican guy, immigrant, mm-hmm. was dr- was riding the trains around killing people. I right. think we did three or four murders. No one knows how many he's done. They think it's like eight. I think he got uh, charged with eight, but it, it could be like 80. No one knows. So were, are they saying that it could be many more because there's just like so many people that are missing and they can't? Yeah. And he, he went everywhere. I mean, he would be here in Florida and then in 24 hours, he would be in Washington or whatever. He just went everywhere with yeah. the trains. I mean, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's where we're starting. So if you guys are ready, we're going to get it going. Let's do. Tonight, I'm starting the story on Thursday, August 28th. We're in Lexington, Kentucky. This is starting from the end point of last story where I gave y'all a teaser. So we're starting there again. And I'm going to go through the whole thing. And it's terrible. Okay, it's like terrible. It's not like a fun story. But we're also going to put his back, the killer's background in there and stuff like that. It's going to be pretty wild. 
It's going to be fast paced, like a train. Thursday, August 28th, Lexington, Kentucky. This is 1997. Clinton was still in office, I'm pretty sure. This is August. So classes had just started back. Classes started back on Wednesday. And the Kappa House, which I think that's a Kappa, Kappa Delta something. Kappa something. I don't know. The Kappa House. The Delta News. I don't know. Well, since this was Labor Day weekend, the Kappa House was having a huge party. Holly Dunn, which is the girl we talked about last week Mm -hmm. a little bit on the last episode. Holly Dunn is wearing a white t-shirt, Birkenstocks, and corduroy pants. Corduroy pants wasn't a really good choice for her. As she'll say in her memoir, it's August in Kentucky. It's pretty hot and muggy. She's walking with a tall and handsome man. Her new boyfriend, they actually met a few weeks before, and she was smitten. This guy, Chris Mayer, he's tall, he's handsome, and he's an outdoorsman through and through. In fact, in her memoir, she talks about how her life was completely changed by this guy because now she is an outdoorsman. She camps and she hikes and she does this. She wouldn't have been that way if it wasn't for Chris, meeting Chris, Uh the avid outdoorsman. He pushed his love of the outdoors onto her. A little bit about Holly, and we'll get more into her later, but she comes from a family of hoteliers. Nailed it. Yeah. She's pretty high class and he's high class too. He's is very popular. He's extremely attractive. He's tall. He's nice. He is the perfect, perfect guy for her. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing wrong with this he guy. He is Ken. Uh, too tall okay. and, and not fake. <laughs> This is midnight. They leave this party because it's Labor Day weekend and the Kappa house is usually popping, but but no one's at school. They're still home and stuff. They went home. It's a skeleton crew in the house. So a couple friends, including Holly and Chris, are like, you know what? Let's just go to a different party. Now, they walk this route all the time. Mm-hmm. Holly is a sophomore, I believe, sophomore or junior, and Chris the same. So they've been students there a while. They know the back road to go to walk to the next sorority house house or fraternity house. And that's what they're doing. This party sucks. No one's here. Let's go walk that little that little trail by the train tracks and hit the next house. Mm-hmm. Nothing different. They've done this a hundred times. Not only that, they were walking with two friends, two male friends who quickly found out that they didn't want to be the third wheel because they're walking behind Chris and Holly and they're obviously holding hands and flirting and stuff like that, mm-hmm. sneaking a kiss here and there. And so these friends were like, you know what? We'll just meet you there right? type of thing. Y'all just go ahead or whatever. The couple actually sat like on this mound and did the whole date looking at the moon and the stars and stuff like that type of thing. Watching the trains come by because they're right by the train tracks. They're walking north along two sets of tracks towards Suburban Court, but they are pretty far out. There isn't a an old light bulb factory there, but they're pretty far out from houses. They're far enough where they can see mm-hmm. the lights coming, like even look in the window and see the TV lights, but they're they're not close enough where they could just scream and run and get to safety. Mm-hmm. So this is 1.30, 2 in the morning. They're walking and all of a sudden a man jumps out. Now, there's two conflicting stories. So let's go with Holly's. But in the book, The Railroad Killer, it says the girl, which at the time this book was written, didn't release her name because this was written right after. Oh, okay. Or right after he was caught. It says Holly saw this man or saw a shadow or something, knew something was amiss. Then he jumps out. But in her own memoir, she says that he was he was there all of a sudden and we had no idea. He was just not there and then he was there. Like a, you know, a 
a flash in this guy's here, right? The first thing this man says, which is Angel Resendez, a 5'4 Mexican man jumps out. The first thing he says is this, where did your friends go? What do you think about that? That's the first thing he says. He jumps out. Kind of creepy. And instead of saying, you know, give me your money or here's a knife, I'm, I got a gun, I got a gun or whatever. The first thing he says is, where did your friends go? So he actually was stalking them. He saw those two third wheels mm-hmm. and then they left. So he was there for a while behind this electrical box watching and waiting. And he wanted to know where your friends are because, oh, they're coming right there. Well, then he's screwed. It doesn't matter if he has a knife. He's 5'4". Yeah. Chris is 6'5". He's a tall guy. Yeah. And the other guys are big, burly college kids. Right. Like that would be just, we wouldn't even be doing this story. So the first thing he says is, where did your friends go? Because he is worried that they are right there and he might have to take off. So she's reading from Holly Dunn's book called Soul Survivor. He had been watching us for some time. He knew there had been four of us. He had listened to Chris and me all the while we thought we were alone. We had no idea he was lurking until he was mere inches away. The first thing he says is, get down on your knees. Now, Chris is 6'5", and she's 5'8". The attacker is barely 5'5". It's like my height. Yeah. And he's he is 110 pounds. He is not my weight. He is tiny, <laughs> tiny, he tiny, is tiny. real tiny. Exactly. I can take him on. So, and that was one of the things, you know, because I had talked to you in the car. I was like, why? So interesting. If, if you were talking about that in the context of this person, I would feel like I could take him because I weigh, I weigh more and I'm in equal height. But if he has a knife. A knife? I mean, the, 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 How the big a chan- knife are we talking here? All right. The we chan- talking machete? No, like a little screwdriver. Uh, the chance of someone stabbing you in, a, in an artery and you bleeding out and dying right there is worth the chance of you bum rushing this dude, especially if you tower over him. Now, I'm, I, I sh- I'm not talking ill about Chris at all. That's not what I'm saying. The reason Holly thinks he didn't do that is because he's a he's a gentle giant. Mm, nice you know? dude. Doesn't he's a nice hurt dude. Anybody. Exactly. That's why. And when an attacker says, I'm not going to hurt you, you tend to believe him. But I was telling Nicole, and dude, I recommend if you're ever in this situation, this is what I've been trained in my, in my career. And I'm telling you, do not ever let someone tie you up. You lose complete control at that point. I would rather give it all I got at that point, and they won't expect it anyway. I am never going to get tied up unless I'm just passed out and have no idea. Once you're tied up, you have no control. They can do whatever mm. the fuck they want. It's a good point. That is the worst. That's worth worse than death for me. If someone wanted to tie me up, I mean, I would I, I would rush them or do something. You know, I, I don't. I, I'm, but I'm not saying that he should have done this. I mean, yes, he should have, but we don't want to talk bad about him because he is a gentle giant. And also, you don't know how you're going to react in that situation. Like, as a female in that situation, depending on the like size and stature, it depends on how I would react. Yeah. And also, everyone, including me and everyone else listen, listening to this, we always put ourselves in that hero role. Like, oh, if that happened to me, I would do this. I know I wouldn't do certain things. Yeah. So you don't know until you're actually mm-hmm. in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just let you know. But if it was me, I am not getting tied up. I'm telling you that right now. Anyway, then he says, lie down and don't move. I have a friend on the way. He just went to get food. So this guy's not only asking where your friends are. He's saying he has friends. He has a friend coming, which he'll eventually say is a deaf mute, you know? And they believed him because why would this guy just wants money or something? Even though they told him we're broke. We don't have any money. Mm. They they sure as hell didn't think he was going to be a murderer. A murderer. 
A few things that he did say to note was, quote, I just broke out of jail. You're going to see me on the news. I don't know why he would say that. I mean, number one, a little he bit was, of narcissism. He was he was going to kill these people. He knew that all along. So I don't know why he would say that. Maybe you're going to see me on the news. It's like, okay, you're going to survive. I have a gun and my friend is on the way back. Don't even try to escape. Now he is wired and fidgety like he's on drugs and he's definitely on booze. Was he on drugs though? Yeah, he was on drugs. Drugs and booze. Whatever drugs he could find that day. Anything anything goes. Yeah, and for booze, he would, he actually developed alcohol psychosis. Oh. Because he would withdraw because he wouldn't have the money to buy more. You know what I'm saying? And he can't drink right. when he's taking care of his, his new wife and his beautiful daughter. He can't be slopping drunk. So he only gets that way when he goes and kills in America. Crazy, hmm. right? Yeah. At this point, he takes Chris's backpack off him and they're laying down at this point. He takes that back, that backpack, those nylon straps and ties Chris up. So at that point, it's not a good situation. He then leaves, walks over and he had left a duffel bag where he got off. He gets in the duffel bag and tears like a, a piece of shirt or something to tie Holly up. So eventually he ties both of them up. Now, this is a very scary situation at this point, right? At this point, they're tied up, bandanas around their face, they're gagged and Holly, she found out that to breathe better when she's gagged, she just sticks her tongue out like, like that. Mm -hmm. And that'll help her breathe better. She talks about that in her book. But she actually sees this man walk away again. And Chris, the whole time, is saying, everything's going to be okay. I'm not going to let him hurt you, this, that, and the other. So he walks away. This man walks away. They don't know what he's doing. And they can't really see anyway because they're face down. Mm -hmm. He comes back with a, a rock that's at least 50 pounds. So which is, which is what? Like over a third of his own weight. This guy's a 110 and he's picking up a 50 pound rock. It's more than half his weight. Yeah. So he yeah. is, he is or literally, almost half his weight rather. Yeah. So this guy is, he picked up the biggest thing he could and he is having trouble bringing it back. And Holly's looking at him like, what are you going to do with this thing? All right, go ahead. He took the rock and held it over Chris who lay there face down in the dense undergrowth. Chris didn't even see what was coming. And then without a word, this utterly evil man let the stone drop. More than 50 pounds of rock came crashing down onto Chris's head. Now, this is really interesting. She was in shock at this point when she saw this. And she tells the detective that she saw Angel, her killer. Well, she didn't know who this guy was for two years until we got caught two years later but she told she told the she told the detective that this man was battering Chris over and over with wood like a wood plank over and over and over mm -hmm. like a hundred times but the detective said that actually didn't happen so her mind I guess this is kind of how the shock works her mind was making that up the only wound that he had was that rock dropping on his head which was enough to kill him obviously but she in her mind I don't know why what psychology this is but she remembers him hitting Chris over and over. Now, she got battered a lot, so maybe she switched her with him. I mean, she is just in shock and trauma at this point. Yeah. It, I just thought it was kind of interesting yeah. how, that, how that played out, you know? I mean, very terrible, obviously. I can't describe what it was like to witness this kind of cruelty against someone I cared about. There are no words for the horror of hearing the sound a skull makes as it's crushed. My mind was in survival mode. I felt nothing at all. No emotions, little pain. Time stood still. I heard Chris's voice in my memory, everything is going to be okay. So, I mean, a lot of people out there would say, well, why didn't he rush him? And I was thinking that too. Remember, I was like livid when I was reading this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he he's a better guy than I am. Or, you know, he was a way better guy than I was. He would never hurt anyone. 
don't I wouldn't say that that's better or worse. We it's know. just how you react. Yeah, you know, like how you how you react to things doesn't make you a bad human or someone else a good person. It's how you react to something is like built inside of you. Just like there, it's the, it's the response modes. No, fight, I know. F- flight or freeze. But he wouldn't hurt a fly type of things. So say. he's not. He would be in a, a flight or freeze mode. Yeah, and this is crazy. She just saw her boyfriend get a fifty pound rock, a stone dropped directly on his head crushed everything in his head, obviously. But at this point, she talks about this weird sensation of she's now at peace. She feels safe and protected. She's still gagged up, hands behind back, tied, face down. Chris's blood just splattered all over her. And at this point, she's at peace. And what I'm trying to say here is, because she says this in her book, this odd sense of being safe and protected is her brain telling her to accept that state that you're about to die. And at that point, the most important thing to do now for her was to ask forgiveness for things she's done. She was at complete peace. So her brain almost put her to death in a sense. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? She talks about yeah. this in length in her book and it's, it's really interesting to hear her say that, you know, because she's she wasn't supposed to live, as you're going to see. I'm going to go over his background really quick, then we're going to go back to what he does to Holly. And it's terrible, okay? It's very terrible, but we got to get through it. We talked about Angel a little bit last time. I'm going to go through his background. He grew up very poor in Pueblo, Mexico, which everyone is poor in Pueblo. Everybody. That city in Mexico is still the third worst Mexican city for poverty. Guess what rate the poverty rate is? I I wonder what it is here. 20% or less? Definitely less. Nearly 70% poverty stricken in Pueblo. And that's the third. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. But guess what? Where he was born, trains were right there. Makes sense. He lived right by, there was a huge train port that went through Pueblo. So he was basically born into it, which is how he can navigate through the through the train tracks so well. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows all the times and, and every stops and he knows how how much time he has to enter what home to get back on the same train. Like he, this is ingrained in his mind because he was born by the trains. And even at an age of five and six years old, he started doing what every other kid in Pueblo had to do. Jump on the trains right quick. Try to steal fruits and vegetables for mom and dad, you know, mm-hmm. to eat because you're poor you got to steal that's you you got to man yeah that's the only option the only option so angel is also an unexpected blessing i saw that in mexican culture it is actually a bad omen to name your son or your daughter before they're actually born oh interesting this might just be in their family or tribe or whatever but the reason being is if you were to miscarry that's a bad omen so you wait to the child is born and then you name him which she named him angel after the priest told her that, quote, one day a boy will come and illuminate your life and make you very famous. In not a good way. Angel had a great upbringing. Besides his father being absent, never really meeting his father Mm -hmm. ever, his mother struggling, she loved him. He was bullied a little bit, but he was the shortest kid in school and it wasn't anything too terrible. All in all, he had a pretty, pretty decent life growing up, right? But the crime is what got him. He started stealing at six and then by eight and 10, he's like, you know, 
know what? I can actually take these trains and get bigger prizes, mm. you know, so in mm-hmm. another city. I can, instead of fruit and vegetables, I can get jewelry. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You see the, the evolution there, right? When he was six years old, he found two interests. One was watching bullfighting simply because he loved to see the blood when a bull pierced the man in the ring. And the other was stealing because he was really great at it. He was great at it. You know why? Because he was only 5'4". Or when he was a kid, he was, you know, tiny. He was scrawny. Right. He could go in between and get lost in the crowd. Plus, if you see his if you see his photo, he looks like any other Mexican man. I mean, I'm not being racist, but he he doesn't have any big features that make him any different, you mm-hmm. know? He looks... No no scars, no freckles, yeah, no moles, no, no... They're like big jaw or something, yeah. or, you know, big ears, like nothing. Yeah. Like he just looks He normal. does not have the Bundy eyebrow, for example. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or the Michelle Carter eyebrow. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So that's his life growing up. He also found riding the trains, his, the older friends would tell him stories about how easy, easy, just so easy, so easy the American girls were to sleep with. So then he was like, you know what? Let's go to America. I thought you'd get mad at me for saying that. That It says in the book, though, that's why he was he was enchanted by America because he thought the girls were so easy. A lot of people are enchanted by American women. However, he did see the American dream. A lot of songs made about it, you know? Yeah, that's true. He did get prison time 20 years in Florida because he was using fake names and got caught with a fake security card, but he got out relatively quickly. Anyway, that's his life. He had the kind of innocent, honest face of someone who never committed a crime in his life, said one neighbor. You couldn't help trusting him. Man, this shit is getting me buzzed. Mm-hmm. All right, can you um can you read XVII? <laughs> I really hope you never try to get Roman numerals tattooed on yourself because I would definitely need to pre-fruit. What did you say it was? XVII. Which book? The book you're reading. There's two books. You read too much. I don't know. I don't see an XVII. Well, that's in the other book then. Oh yeah, this is Holly's story. Let's go back to her story. Holly's book. Oh, here, XVII. Which is what? 14? Um, 10, 18. They could see the hatred in his eyes flaring by the millisecond. 17. No, III is what you have. Oh, I put two eyes. Yeah, it's XVII. Yeah, see, Martin says 17 too. Well, sorry. When I opened the book, only (laughs) only the three eyes was what was highlighted, not the two. So I, I read the 18. But you would be correct. They could see the hatred in his eyes flaring by the millisecond. The girl then looked across in horror as she saw the man strike her boyfriend on the head with a blunt object. As it plunged into his skull, it made a soft crushing noise. Mayer tried to fight him off, but it was impossible to find the strength as the man smashed him over the head again and again. Mayer's body shook violently. He was choking and gagging on his own blood. Now, see, that's in the book that was written right when he got caught. In her own memoir, she says that didn't happen. The detective said that that didn't happen. It's kind of weird, right? How that plays with your mind. We're going back to Holly's story. This is going to get kind of, this is going to get kind of bad. All right. We're going to talk about obviously sexual assault here, but I feel like it's important to actually do the story like she wrote it. And she is currently, this is what she does. She speaks. She's a public speaker. Mm-hmm. So she has a, a great, a terrible story, but I mean, very lucky. She's to be using her, her story for good. I hope. Flip in the middle of the book. And see what she looks like when she was hit. And I'll show you guys. You'll see exactly what she's about to go through. And it's terrible. Ooh, 
Oh, let me see. Look at that picture right there on the bottom. Damn. Is that not terrible? She is full of stitches. My goodness. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, so her mouth was wired shut for months. They had to rebuild her jaw. I had a friend in the military who got shot right in the mouth through and through. I think he had like 80 surgeries or something, but they had to rebuild his jaw. He survived. Damn. He got shot with an AK-47. It went in his mouth broke out all his teeth and went back through his neck. He was in a firefight and he was like in the prone position. I mean, lucky. It's amazing he survived. Yeah. And he stayed in the military too. I also got a friend that was that he'll lift up his shirt and show you, but it's a huge X on his chest stitched up from where he lost all his guts from being like a, um, he was in a, a bazaar and uh, one of those motorbikes came in with an IED strapped <gasps> to it. He was like right there, blew all his guts out. He's actually going to, this is fucked up, but if you get hit like that with an IED, your life expectancy, even if you live, shoots down because you have shrapnel, shrapnel that they can't get out and that metal is going to kill you eventually. They can't get it all out. Nuts. I'm lucky I didn't get fucking that shit. But also I was like, I ain't going back. You can call me a pussy, dude. I'm getting the fuck out. <laughs> Twice going, was enough. I was like, I ain't going back to this shit. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah. Scared, man. Shit, scary well, shit. Well, it... You got got one of these things called life. Why? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. You and went twice. Dude, we went. We were in this village. We. I even asked the people. Obviously, with translator, I was like, "Yo, what are you thinking? Like nine eleven? They're like, what the fuck? What do you think about Bin Laden? Who? Who the fuck are you talking about? I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. I'm getting drunk. I need to stop. All right. Go ahead. Wait. Are you doing something? I don't think so. Oh, uh, eighty five. <laughs> I guess. So I. Damn. This fucking froze. <laughs> You're so cute. This rosé is top-notch. Um, 85? All right, I gotta, I gotta, like, figure out which book. As one explained later, what stunned us was the sheer force and anger with which those wounds had been inflicted. This was not a reluctant killer. This was a guy with evil in his soul. Oh, man, that, that would suck to be a burn victim. I see some of those videos where there's this one, and he's not a veteran or anything, but it's still horrible. Like, he lost all his legs and his arms because I think of, like, a forklift tipped over on him. At that point, man, I would just be like, just... Just do me in. I mean, you can't you can't move or anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could do it, man. Anyway. Shit's getting deep. We're going back to Holly's story at this point. Chris Mayer, the modern hippie outdoorsman, he is now still tied up. His face is bashed in. And now I'm going to talk about the assault now, okay? A little bit. I'm not going to get in detail, but Chris starts to gurgle. And at this point, someone who doesn't know what that sound is, like Holly, is now screaming at the top of her lungs to to get Angel, the killer, pleading with him to turn Chris's head because he's choking on his own blood. Now, here's the, the reason I think Angel may have killed more people, because he went over there and he wasn't worried about it. He's not worried about Chris choking on his own blood because that sound of him gurgling wasn't a sound of him choking on his own blood. It's called a death rattle. The death rattle, this is what that is. It's a dying process. It's not just in true crime and murder. Everyone goes through this. But it's when the sound is like a rattle because the the movement of the last little bit of air you're ex exhaling from your body is caught in the throat and the mucus buildup in the airway. Because what happens when you die? Your muscles start to relax and that makes them constrict. Mm -hmm. So the mucus membranes in your throat are now blocking your 
airway because your muscles are so relaxed. So that's what that rattle is type of thing. It's not him choking on his blood. He's dying. Or usually, I, I should say, usually they're either already dead or, and it's like an automatic response, or they're in a, a, a coma. So Chris at that point was most likely already dead, which Angel seems to have known because he says, you don't have to worry about him now. You don't have to worry about him. This guy is a, a monster, obviously. He starts tugging down at her pants at the same time, which this was the same in the, the Botha case. And I'm pretty sure I've covered other ones where rapists and killers do this too. This is probably the most disgusting thing. He's pulling down her pants with her hands tied behind her back. And then he tries to kiss her. Why is that? You're going to rape a woman and you're going to kiss her? Like, is that, why is that an automatic response? You know, I've, I've read other people do that. I mean, maybe, how, how, maybe trying to like make it seem like it's consensual when it's not or that there's affection there. I don't know. It's crazy. He was trying to kiss her and she is clawing and scratching his body and face because she knows that she needs to try to embed some of his DNA in between her fingernails. She's a very smart. Yeah, she is an extremely smart woman. After he was finished, she asked him because the whole time he's like, if you just comply, let me, I'm going to rape you. Just comply and I'm not going to kill you. So now she is asking him if he can, now that he's done, if he wouldn't mind pulling her pants back up because she's tied up. So she doesn't want to lay there naked. So she wants him to pull. And this was a whole thing. It was like five minutes of him trying to pull her pants back up. It's mm -hmm. nuts, right? I mean, this is anyway. At that point, another thing is crazy. Is she started saying please and thank you. Like, oh, thank you for doing that. I mean, she's trying to like calm him down. Yeah. She believed that he would not kill her, but you saw the photo. He almost did. I mean, I think that was his intent. I don't the, think he meant to keep her alive. The Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah. She's not hurt at this point. I mean, she's hurt, obviously. Like, she's pushed on the ground, scratches yeah, yeah. and stuff but like not, that. But not what he did in that photo. Not what he did in yeah. that photo. She had her jaw wired for months. Like, she barely could even drink, you know, the, the food in uh, liquid form. She yeah. couldn't even open her mouth. So they had to, like, stick it through the wires yeah. in her mouth. I mean, you saw the photo. I mean, you mm -hmm. guys, it's terrible. Like, this guy was was trying to kill her. Why, why even bother pulling her pants up, you know? And the last memory she remembers is this guy reaching for her earrings, her hoop earrings. And this is probably foreshadowing, foreboding something terrible. He ain't even going to unclip them. He's just going to rip them right out her earlobes. Crazy, right? Yeah. He began beating her after saying that, I'm going to let you live. This is what he did. I'm going to read. This is from her own words. I don't remember him lifting some kind of board to beat me. I don't really remember the blows he dealt. The wounds he inflicted told the story later. But with renewed energy and unexpected rage, this is after he done raped her and got off, right? Um, he raised this board and slammed it into my face over and over until it lacerated my cheeks, fractured my eye socket, and broken my jaw. I turned my face towards the ground, raising my right arm to block the blows. He struck the back of my head and split my scalp in multiple places. I slipped in and out of consciousness. By grace, I blacked out most of the beating. I didn't feel much pain, only the force and pressure the blows. She also didn't feel that he had stabbed her right in the side of the neck, barely missing that major artery. When, when she actually comes to and she walks to a fraternity house looking like what you just saw, looking like a yeah. 
she's in some kind of monster movie. They didn't know where the blood was coming from. So many wounds all over. She has a big hole in her neck, you know? But she, if you read her book, is powerful too because she still, this is a terrible experience, but she still asks the EMTs, hey, can we stop and get a cheeseburger on the way to the hospital? You know, she's still kind of being positive. She's a very positive person, you know, trying to make light of anything, yeah. even though this is just terrible, right? When her parents found out about this and they visited her, the father asked one of her sisters, when did Holly dye her hair red? That's not dye, dad. That's blood. Her hair was red. Goes from blonde to being red. You know how many times she had to wash it? And she'll talk about, she went, once she, like a week later, she finally took a shower. She went back and back and back because she she felt obviously violated. This guy, you know, she, she can't get this off of her skin. And every shower, more and more of it come off. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, and disgusting. So anyway, that is pretty, I don't, I definitely would recommend you reading her book. It's really good. So she also talks about something. Obviously, her boyfriend, Chris, died, was murdered brutally. So imagine yourself as Holly two months later. You just now can talk. Three months later, they just now took some of the wiring out of your mouth. Imagine yourself as her having to call Chris's parents. She felt so guilty. She felt ashamed to call them. And of course, they were like, oh, honey, you know, but she felt that survivor's guilt because she should be dead. So what happened to the killer? This killer was caught. This was two years after. The story we did on the first episode was after this one, right? So I, I went back two years. So this supposedly is his first murder. Okay. So he was caught about two years later. He was convicted of 16 killings and then he was executed. Now his wife and kids didn't know anything about it. He was executed it in 2006 at age 46 lethal injection Texas oh. but that's that's the story I mean rest in hell right yeah. mm-hmm. crazy I did find this one aspect interesting that he used trains to travel mm-hmm. because I always thought that that would be the perfect method to do I mean I've been doing this for five years so I'm gonna think about this stuff like Israel keys right he how, rented you, how cars. would you not think the cruise ship is the ideal I mean you got to pay for a ticket on a cruise like this guy's jumping on trains he's not paying for tickets yeah true you know cruise ship. And plus, where are you going to go? Like Mexico, back to, you know, wherever. I always thought that would be the perfect way to do it. You're jumping trains. And that's if you're interested in killing complete strangers. I think the yeah, cruise exactly. ship works if you're trying to kill a loved one. Well, so he, you know, he did it all wrong if you want if you wanted to do it. You know, he was leaving his DNA and sloppy. You know, he was sloppy. And then he left Holly alive, stuff like that. So if you really wanted to do it, Israel Keys, Keys style. And the only reason Israel Keys got caught is why? Because he killed in his own back backyard. Literally. Yeah, he killed somebody new. He, yeah, the coffee girl, mm-hmm. Samantha Koenig, I think her name was, and then he put her body in his garage. He got sloppy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why he got caught. Yep. Anyway, I hope you guys liked that. Yeah, it was really good. That was part two, but anyway, that's all I got, so. Excellent day. All right, well, thank you guys again so much, and until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. There is one word you still can't pronounce correctly. What? Cement? No. What? Annihilator. Annihilator. (laughs) Annihilator. No? I mean... Yeah. Annihilator. Annihilator. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And and we've named a lot of episodes that and you can't... You've never said it correctly once.